Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Revelation chapter 12. I was planning to do eight verses today. And by the time I was done writing, we got one done. So, <laughs> progress. The wheels of progress move ahead. <clears throat> uh, Revelation chapter 12. <sighs> Verses. 7 through 12 of chapter 12 are built in in such a way um, that place those verses as the focal point of chapter 12. So verses 7 through 12 are the heart of this section. And I really wanted to spend time looking at it and, well, <laughs> God's getting his way and why I'm getting my way. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to really lock in on verse 11 here. Uh, but let's get a running start at verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, and that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, teach I'm preaching, so I got distracted. I saw someone I haven't seen in a while. Uh, <laughs> I got so happy. Uh, <laughs> uh, verse 11, and this is new territory here. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. That's today's text. <laughs> so I'm a father, and I love being a father. I, when God made me and knit me in the womb, he just knew that I was going to love every second of it. Now, I have a six and a three-year-old. 
And when they're not playing with dad and learning, I, I want them to, 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 to play and have fun. Uh, and the problem is there is so much filth in entertainment now. It's hard to find things <laughs> that are safe for them to watch and play. The day I'm just turning on the TV are long over. Well, one of the things my kids love is the most popular video game character of all time, who's an adorable little Italian plumber with a thick mustache named Mario. Uh, this morning, my kids were going, Mamma Mia! It was really funny. <laughs> I never was more proud. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons I, I think the Mario franchise to be so successful and beloved, besides the catchy jingles and the music and the jingle jangles are so jingle jangly, and, uh, are because of the stories, like many fairy tales and folklore, they're rooted in godly principles. Like the story of Tarzan or King Kong or the James Bond movies, Popeye the Sailor Man, uh, Liam Neeson's Taken, uh, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood Westerns, the first Star Wars movie. It's about, it's about somebody who's stepping up to defeat evil and save the damsel in distress. And this is incredibly biblical. You know, remember the story in Genesis when Lot was taken, him and his family, and Abraham catches wind of it, and with a few hundred of his guys, they ride out to go save Lot and his family. And when you read it, you can't help but to go, get him, Abraham. And then remember the same thing happened to David. They were out, and then their, their camp was raided, and all the families, the children, were taken. And David and his mighty men, with men with faces like lions. How cool is that? And they go riding out, and boy, they get the bad guys, and they save their <laughs> wives and, then the, and the kids, and you can't help but to read it and go, get him, you know? And of course, as we think about the end of the age, the church is surrounded by the Antichrist on all sides and the Lord returns to rescue his bride. These are incredibly biblical themes here. Now, there's something about these kind of stories that resonate with us. And again, uh, this is my last Mario reference for the day, but uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, the guy who invented Mario, said when he created the franchise over 30 years ago, he wanted to make a game that allowed little kids to overcome the darkness. He wanted to create a little happy plumber who jumped on creepy things like evil turtles and storm castles and fight dragons, and in the end, overcome evil and dungeons and spooky ghosts and save the princess for the reason because it was the right thing to do because it's honorable and right and you wanted to teach kids this c.s lewis once said since it is so likely that children will meet cruel enemies let them at least have heard of brave knights and heroic courage otherwise you are making their destiny not brighter but darker C.S. Lewis is saying the same thing. That it does a child no good to pretend that there aren't monsters, because there are monsters. So what children need to hear is not that monsters don't exist, but that monsters do exist and can be defeated. G.K. Chesterton once said, fairy tales then are not responsible for producing in children fear or any of, of the shapes of fear. Fairy tales do not give the child the idea of the evil or the ugly. 
That is in the child already because it is in the world already. Fairy tales do not give the child his first idea of the boogeyman. The fa what fairy tales give the child is his first clear idea of the possible defeat of the boogeyman. The baby has known that the dragon intimately ever since he had an imagination. What the fairy tale provides for him is a St. George to kill the dragon. Exactly what the fairy tale does is this. It accustoms him for a series of clear pictures to the idea that these limitless terrors had a limit, that these shapeless enemies have enemies in the nights of God, that there is something in the universe more mystical than darkness and stronger than the strong fear. Here's the point. As we read the book of Revelation, our good and merciful Father is not hiding from us the reality that there are dragons in our world. But God is telling us plain as day that there are dragons in this world. There is evil in this world. And evil plans to produce and multiply more evil. Yeah. But that the evil can be overcome. And even if God didn't tell it, wouldn't we, as C.S. Lewis said, instinctually know it? We know things are not quite right. We all feel it. We look at the news and we see it for the mostly peaceful protests. <laughs> we, we drive in the city and see people doped out of their minds and homeless people and we're grieved by it. We know things are not right. And as we read the book of Revelation, our Father is not hiding from us the reality of evil, of dragons, but that the dragons can be defeated and that evil can be overcome. Well, we have to feel the weight of verse 11, just because remember, Michael just gave Satan a heavenly whooping <laughs> when he defeated his armies and casted them down to the earth. And, and why? And I love that because there was no more room in heaven for them. Great. Awesome. Eternity's going to be filled with an absence of sin. Praise God, I'm ready for it. And then heaven rejoices because this is good news. The justice of God is part of the good news. It's the gospel. And as heaven is rejoicing about the father and son's victory, it adds verse 11. And they have Nikaho conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. You know, who's they? Because whoever they is, heaven is singing that they conquered Satan with Jesus and Michael. What God is revealing to us today is that believers are looked at in heaven as taking part in the slaughtering of Satan, of the defeat of the dragon. Like Jesus alludes to in Matthew 16, believers are just, remember what did Jesus say to Peter? Peter? If the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That means that Peter was to storm the gates of hell and it was not to prevail. Like Michael who rode out to meet Satan's armies and conquered the dragon. Believers are to Ephesians 6 ride out as well. 
Our Father who art in heaven is telling us that dragons exist and they can and should participate. We can and should participate in defeating him. How incredible is that? <laughs> and, and then furthermore, how is this possible? If God is telling us something this morning, that his faithful people are dragon slayers. Do you see that? God's faithful people, those who are in heaven, who sing heaven's songs in heaven are dragon slayers. We participate in the slaying of the dragon with the Father, with the Son, and with Michael and his angels. We're part of them. They. This is incredible. Now, our Father Jesus just told us the dragons exist and we are to fight them, and so how do we fight them, right? How do we conquer Satan and his demons? Well, God just told us the two ways to do that. First, by the blood of the Lamb, and secondly, by the word of our testimony. And the context of these two things are framed in, for they love not their lives, even unto death. Here's how we categorize this. We conquer the beast with our blood, and we conquer the beast with our word. As Jesus conquered the beast with his blood, and he conquered the beast with his word. So first, our blood. Jesus may, or this may come as a shock to some of you, but in the first few hundred years after Jesus died, there was a sect in the early church in which they tried to get murdered. Did you know that? They wanted to be killed. For hundreds of years, Christians were like, I'm going to die for Jesus. And they fought it. And part of the reason why is because the Bible speaks so favorably of the martyr, doesn't it? And so there were many in the early church who would read these things and then live as boldly as possible and lived it as... If they found out that they were killing Christians in India, there were Christians going to India because they wanted them to be saved, but they also wanted to die for their faith. They wanted to be martyred because the Bible spoke so highly of martyrs. And in some cases, many felt that heaven could not be secured unless they were killed for their faith. Which might I add, don't we see a lot of people that think they're not validated in their faith unless someone's mad at them? You see that with the Westboro Baptist people, don't you? They stand out there with pickets and God hates and God hates and then people hate them and they're like, oh, I knew I was a Christian. They hated Jesus. No, you're just a jerk. Uh, But (laughs) so this isn't anything new. (laughs) But what today's text tells us is not that Christians need to be martyred or murdered for their faith, but that Christians are a people who love not their lives even unto death. Here's what this means. Christians are not supposed to try to get killed. (laughs) But if we are presented with a rejection of the faith or martyrdom, a true believer every time will love not their life, even unto death, because they love the lamb more than they love their life. A true believer placed in the position will die for their faith. That's what's being said. And, And as Satan kills us, and as Satan wounds us and spills our blood, Jesus, as the, uh, just as the blood of Jesus secured Satan's demise, so also as he spills the blood of Jesus' people that our blood mixes, mixed with Jesus' blood partakes in Satan's eternal sentencing of damnation. Think about communion. 
What do we take? Jesus's body and Jesus's blood. Of course, symbolic in the bread and the wine. And we take that in and it mixes with our body and our blood, which is why Paul says over and over and over and over again that we are in Christ. There's a sharing of bodies there. So symbolically, when our blood is spilled, his blood is spilled with ours because it's mixed with our blood. So every martyrdom is an echo of sorts of the martyrdom when the blood of the lamb was shed for the sin of the world. And just like how Satan believed in killing in the killing of God's son would be a victory for him, but was actually a defeat, isn't the same true with the church? Every time Satan kills a believer through martyrdom, he actually gets a little bit more defeated. <laughs> Don't we see this? Uh, there's that old line from Tertullian: "The blood of the martyrs, the, the, is, is the, the blood of the martyr waters the seed of the church." In early Rome, you have to remember the Romans were so against Christianity. They said we were cannibals because we took communion. Oh, they eat they they eat people in their quiet services and they, they eat the Lord's body. And so they dragged us to the Colosseums and our faithful brothers and sisters with their families were torn apart by lions to the sound of applause. And believers would sing hymns as they were being ripped apart. And slowly, over decade after decade, the Romans went, we don't love anything as much as they love Jesus. And slowly over time, Rome itself became a Christian nation through the blood of the martyrs. Jesus has designed that Satan's demise comes when we faithfully lay our lives down. And that's why heaven sings about it. Now, secondly, we conquer the beast with our word and our testimony. Again, the context is of those who love not their lives even unto death. Here's what that means. Satan the dragon is conquered when we bear witness to the gospel, even if it costs us our lives and our reputations. Like Christ, as Paul lays out in Philippians 2.7, we must be willing to come of no reputation for the gospel. Can you imagine if Paul lived today, how many hate groups would exist on Facebook about death to Paul? You know, white nationalist, evil, hates LGBTQ. He's the worst person, most hated person in the world. Paul and Hitler, they, you know, can, you can see it. We must be willing to be of no reputation. Are we willing to proclaim that we are of Christ? when that culturally labels us as evil and ill-intent and unloving. Because it is these kinds of believers that partake in the nikako, the conquering of the dragon. Satan's not afraid of Christians who act like the world six other days of the week. He's not fighting them. They're fighting with him. It's those who are willing to come to nothing for the advance of the gospel that cut him. God looks down from heaven and sees who is willing to stand for Christ when all others flee, 1 John 2, 19. And it is these that God labels as dragon slayers, as beast slayers. I was thinking about our country this week. You know, we have elections coming up and uh, I'm gonna tell you which candidates I support. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't do that if you've noticed. Um, 
In the 70s, there was what some call the Third Great Awakening in America, and a lot of people disagree with that. But in the 70s, there was this thing called the Jesus Movement. You ever heard of the Jesus Movement? Okay, well, there was this big thing in Southern California, in California, where all these hippies got saved. Um, you know, the sha la 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 live for today started to wear off after a few years of being homeless and living in a van. And they started to find Jesus. Praise God. And the thrust of that movement was no more high church. No more big sacraments. No more long robes. We're not going to hit you with any incense as we walk down the aisle. We're just going to love people into the kingdom. That sounds wonderful, right? Sure, I'll get on board with that. But 50 years later, and the American church has never been more weak. How does that work? God's shepherds and pastors, God's people, God's leaders, the mature, we absolutely need to love people into the kingdom of God. Yes and amen. A thousand times yes and amen. We love everybody. We don't even love our enemies. You know that? That person who said dur, 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 about you, love them to death. <laughs> but loving the sheep is not the only job of the shepherd. A person who does half a job is not doing the job. John 10.1 Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used was with, uh, with them, but they, they, they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before uh, of me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who he does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Amen. Not, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. You notice Jesus is not going to be murdered. He lays down his life. Jesus has the authority, but that's a whole other teaching. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
A shepherd's job consists more of pa than passive love. It also consists of fighting wolves. Aren't you so grateful Jesus loved you enough to fight Satan for your soul? In fact, it is Jesus' defiance to evil that we are aware of his love. You know, we know Jesus loves us when he's teaching, don't we? But when we behold him on the cross and we see the crown of thorns in his head and the back ripped open and the nails in his arms, we feel that he loves us. It is in the good shepherd's fight that we see the extent of his love. And so again, a shepherd's job consists of more than passive love. Godly love, biblical love, Christly love, fatherly love, spiritly love, if there is such a thing as I imagine there is, is not passive, mundane, or neutral love. This godly, active love, it raises to whatever occasion is before it. God so loved the world that he hoped we figured it out. No! He sent his son. Do you see it's not passive? In Jude, we are to drag people from the fires of hell. We do not love people if we watch them moonwalk into eternity. We, we don't. We must love people enough to fight for them, to stand for the truth. Godly, active love rises to whatever occasion is before it. And sometimes that kind of love consists of fighting. In our culture, as our culture is turning against Christ and godliness, we, we are seeing a lot of shallow, passive love. We're seeing a lot of shepherds who act like hired hands, who run and hide and cower on the issues of sexual identity or gender or abortion. When the wolves come, they run. Well, I don't know. The Bible's not very clear. Yes, it is. We still need shepherds who love sheep. Of course, we must love everybody. But we need shepherds who love God and the sheep enough to fight for them. Who love the sheep enough to lay down their lives for them. What did Jesus say? Your rod and your staff comfort me. Those were weapons. <laughs> it were the weapons of God that were the comfort to David. And again, I share all of this because I want you to see the heart of Jesus through all the scriptures. The, the Christian life is a beautiful life. I got into this last week, so I don't want to spend too much time here, but we can get, we can get sort of an eschatological pessimism. We can get uh, an ecclesiastical uh, pessimism. We, we can just go, yeah, there's so much sin in the world. And oh, woe is me. You know, there's some people, every time you talk to them, it's like, oh, I'm under, you know. Okay, sure, and there needs to be love and compassion. But the Bible commands us to be joyful. There, it's not, the Bible doesn't, God doesn't ask us to be joyful. He commands us to. It is, how many times do we read in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
It's a blessing to be in the kingdom. We should rejoice over the blessing of the kingdom. It is so much blessings in being in the kingdom of God. It is a life of abundant joy, of continual renewing and maturity. Oh God, how God matures us. But when the robber comes and the wolves are at the gate and the dragon is within sword's reach, especially God's faithful shepherds, but really this is a call to all Christian believers, to all of God's faithful people, is all throughout the Bible. We all must fight. And we must fight for ourselves and we must fight for others. Because the hired hand who loves the sheep does not truly love the sheep when they abandon them, when they need them the most. You know, and as I look at America right now, the wolves are at the gate. <laughs> the dragon's in the house. And he's swinging his tail, taking millions of people with him every year into debauchery and evil and down with the nuclear family, down with the church, down with the... Knocking things everywhere out of the house. But we must love God and his people and all people enough to not flee from the danger, but to stand as Jesus does in the way like Christ, and bear witness and fight. Even if that means we will be misunderstood, <coughs> underappreciated, labeled as hateful, or even evil. You know, here's a great way to think about it. Evil people said horrible things about Jesus, didn't they? Yeah. And if we act like Jesus, evil people are going to say horrible things about us too. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because it is the nature of darkness to hate the light. It is the nature of beastly people to hate order. And what does the beast do all throughout the scripture? What is Satan and the Antichrist described as? Vicious, slanderous, dragon-like people. And these dragon-like people hate the godly. Now... This passage of scripture shed light on another, other passages of scripture. You can't believe how much I had to chop out today. Uh, <laughs> I want you to think back to, the, to Revelation chapter two and three. Remember the seven letters to the seven churches when we read that a decade ago? Do you guys remember that? Um, <laughs> do you remember at the end of every letter, God's promised Blessings and gifts to the conqueror. Do you remember that? I want to read it. Uh, to Ephesus, to the one who Nakaho conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We now know what that conqueror looks like and behaves. It's the one who fights the dragon. <laughs> and those who do that, who dragon slay, regardless of what it costs them, will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. It are the dragon slayers that are in heaven. Do you know that? To Smyrna, to the one who conquers, will not be hurt by the second death. Dragon slayers will not be touched by hell. We need to fight. And if we do, we will not be touched by hell. The author of Hebrews lays out in Hebrews 11:6, and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
God rewards those who seek him, who live a life of genuine faith. To Pergamum, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. To those who do not flee and do not cower, but stand, they will be gifted gifts by Jesus. Do you ever think about heaven like, I just want to get in? I just want to get in. But the way the Bible describes it is we get in and God just starts shoveling presents on us. If we dragon slay, God's going to shovel presents on us. And we're going to share a meal with God and have a new name. Which I'm ready. To Thyatira, the one who conquers and who keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, with, and with, as with earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Dragon fighters will one day rule in the very kingdom we fought for. Remember Jesus said, he who cannot be trusted in little things cannot be trusted in great things. As we stand for the rule and perfect order of the kingdom in this life, this is the little things. And one day we will rule with Christ on his throne and do big things. To Sardis, the one who conquers, Nakaho, will be clothed us in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Yes, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. They will be made pure and will be made secured in heaven before God. When we enter into heaven as dragon slayers, imagine stepping into eternity with your a hand around a sword. <laughs> it are those that God says, here comes my son, my daughter. Da -da -da -da. Here they are. God doesn't just sneak you in the back door and go, don't tell anyone I let you in, okay? <laughs> Josh, you were this close. Just come on, just be quiet about it, okay? Just give it a few hundred years before people know that. Yeah. We'll put you in the cold room, you know, you know. Ba, 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 my child's home. To Philadelphia, the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall never go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. And they will dwell with God as his holy people in his holy city forever. To Laodicea, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Finally, those who fight for Jesus' throne will themselves also sit on that very throne. Can you imagine sitting on the throne of all thrones? That's incredible. As Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 13, that the one who endures to the end will be saved. You will see nothing in the Bible that says, I prayed a prayer 30 years ago and now I'm eschewing for heaven. It is those who nakaho, who enter into eternity bloody and dirty and scuffed up. If we are going to be received in heaven, we must have faith and faith without works is shipwrecked. And Jesus is showing us here, God is showing us here what these works look like. And it is a life totally laid down for the glory of God. 
Not that we need works to be saved. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. We are saved by faith alone, through Christ alone, through grace alone. So, you know, through the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. Yes, 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 yes. But if we are saved, we will bear fruit because a good tree bears fruit. And God's people are dragon slayers. It is a life as Paul laid out in Ephesians 6 with the armor of God on. A believer's life is one of battle. Revelation 12, 11 of conquering. Luke 13, 24 of striving to enter the narrow way. Of Jude 3, contending or agonizing for the faith. Philippians 3, 14 of pressing on towards the upward goal. Have you ever seen football players or rugby players when the center meets and they're all pushing as hard as they can? That's what you're to do. You're going to press on towards the upward call, to, towards the goal. 2 Timothy 4, 7, to fight the good fight, to run the race. I hate running. <laughs> I'm not built for running. Look at me. Built like a, you know. Right, let's not get into that. I got enough, but you already see it. You know. I'm more built for lounging. <laughs> Can I lounge my way into heaven, God? Like a lazy, lazy river situation. Uh, if you like pina colada, you know. A dragon slay that way, possible. No, there's not. There's not. And yes, Jesus did it all. He defeated Satan. Do you see this? He was on the cross. We were not on the cross. He was on the cross. He's secured eternity for us. Jesus is the hero. But I want you to notice. I want you to notice something about God. This isn't one of my notes, but boy, this just hit me and I'm ready. I'm here for it. Do you notice Jesus says, Jesus is always pointing to the Father. He's like, don't, don't, don't look at me. It's my Father. All glory to my Father. And then we look at the Father and the Father goes, no, 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 no. Look at the Son. Yeah. Then we look at this, and then the spirit's like, you gotta look at these two. And it's nonstop. And here we are in heaven, and we're, we're looking at what Jesus accomplished, and then Jesus goes, Michael, go show him what you can do. And Michael kills Satan and the demons, and he throws them in. And then heaven starts to sing, and it's almost like, throw the saints in there, and now God's singing about us. Heaven's singing about us. This is who God is. He can't help but to bring people into this praise and worship and joy and magnitude. And Jesus died on the cross. He set us free. He killed the dragon. And yet he, he wants us part of the praise. Jesus is the hero. Yes, yes, yes. A thousand times yes. But he has gifted us his spirit and has entrusted us, the church, his people, to get that message to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> to, live, to, to live that message from corner to corner. And that means in our homes, your first mission field is not some stranger somewhere <laughs> in some restaurant somewhere. Witness to your waitresses, yes. Your first missions field is your family. You start there. And you know what? That's a lot harder <laughs> than a stranger. <laughs> 
And then you go to your workplaces, and then you go to the people you know, and then you do, you know, you pray at Thanksgiving dinner, not too long, because then you're just making enemies. But <laughs> the mashed potatoes are getting cold, holy person, you know. <laughs> but this is how we dragon slay. We use our word, and we lay down our lives as necessary. And as we do that, as we give testimony, the dragon will oppose us every step of the way. But that cannot deter us. That cannot slow us down. Would you ever expect to fight a seven-headed dragon and not expect an act to break a sweat? <laughs> How many people, as soon as it gets tough, they go, I'm done. This, I didn't sign up for this. Well, apparently not. This is a fight. We must expect one. Because God's people are to love Christ more than they love their own reputations and more than they love their own lives. So as we close, today's passage is telling us that there is real evil in this world and that God's people can endure it. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking earlier this week, I actually started to get a little giggle going, you know, uh, about how mad and frustrated Satan must be <laughs> if, we, if we witness, we conquer. As we speak about Jesus Christ, we're defeating him. And then he gets mad, he kills us. And then we defeat him some more. <laughs> and then he persecutes us, and then we defeat him some more. You know, if we are just faithful, no matter the results, God calls us conquerors and dragon slaves. He must be so frustrated all the time because he can't ever win. That's great. And as, as conquerors as, and as dragon slayers, we will sit on the very throne that he sought for himself. Remember, he said, I want to ascend like the God most high. He wanted to sit on that throne. And God goes, nah, I'm going to let these people do it. <laughs> How mad he must be. So loved ones, lo love people, love the saved, love the unsaved, but love them enough, not shallowly. Love them enough to fight for them because that's what Jesus did. And if we are to be in, of his blood, of his likeness, of his personhood, of his mission, if we're to look like him and act like him and speak like him as we're supposed to, we will fight. And we will fight by upholding the truth of God's word, whether they like it or not. <laughs> we must be deadly serious about growing in godliness. I can't tell you how many times you talk to people and they talk about their parents. You know, one of my favorite things is when I visit somebody and then they're, they're, they're like in their 90s and they tell me about their parents. <laughs> And do you imagine me, you know, I'm thinking, what a world to go, you know? And they talk about the hymns their parents would sing to them 85 years ago, still in there. And like Donnie brought up today, and their parents sang it to them. Or they think about their father, and their father worked all the time. He was a rough man, and on Saturdays, he had us busy. But they always think about that time they saw him reading his Bible. You know, this is how we fight. We must be very serious about growing in godliness and showing people how the dragon slay. 
And yes, it's true. So many people don't know the word of God and they need it. (laughs) But isn't it also true that so many people do know the word of God and yet they live as if they do not know it? We don't necessarily have a knowledge problem. We have a doing problem. Please note that today's text does not say it is those who knew the word of God that conquered the dragon. But it is, it is by their word of their testimony. It is the people who study the word to live the word and to share the word. Those were the dragon slayers. We, we must uphold the truth and we must heed the call to this kind of biblical faithfulness and godliness and righteousness and stand our ground. Because when we do, we enter into what heaven sings about. We enter into the likeness and ministry of Jesus our Lord. And one day, if you live a life laid down, you read the Bible and actually do it. (laughs) These are the kind of people that God is so happy to bring them home. From the story of the parable of the prodigal son, The father was looking for his boy on the horizon. And there he saw the figure and he knew. He ran, he girded up the loins that he had and ran. He fell on his boy and he kissed him and he kissed him and he kissed him. And then he has his servants put robes and sandals and rings on him. And then he throws a massive party. Jesus is telling that story for us. That if we would would fight the way that he's asking us to, if if we would act the way that he desires us to, oh, the reception that awaits the dragon slayer. There is nothing this world offers that can compare. There, There is nothing worth clinging on to to be thrown into hell with. Nothing. But if we may find the pleasure of our Father who art in heaven, it'll all be worth it. Two seconds inside of eternity, if we live our lives with our sword in our hands, we will not regret one scratch we received. (laughs) I guarantee it. Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask that you would help us to live lives laid down. We pray that you would help us to be godly, biblical people. You know, sometimes, God, we can memorize other passages of Scripture to protect us from other passages of Scripture. <laughs> it's all of grace. Jesus is doing it all. All i got to do is believe, and it's, it's true. But, God, you have asked us to live a certain way if we are going to be your people. And so, God, we pray for a mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit that you may help us to act and be as your people. And God, we're about to take communion. We we do pray that we may enter in in a worthy manner. We pray that if anyone here does not know you, they may not partake of this meal. 
But God, if there are those who have not known you, they have not lived the way that they were supposed to. But they are ready to enter into the kingdom and be your child, that they may come and drink of this, 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 your blood freely. God, we ask that you add to the family today and thoroughly capture us and may our blood and our bodies mix together so, so to our desires and passions. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, our Lord Reed said, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the word and join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore weekly sermon.